first reading is from Malachi 3. I will send my messenger, who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like the refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in the days gone by, as in former years. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is from the letter of Paul to the Philippians. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he would who, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Iturea, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Well, when I read the passages for this Sunday morning, um, there was one... um, phrase, if you like, which I found leapt off the page at me in the letter from Paul to the Christians in Philippi, our second reading, when he said in verse 4, 
In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I love that phrase, partnership in the gospel. And I found this image quite helpful in thinking about this partnership in the gospel and what it might mean in our Christian lives. Here are two people working together on what looks like a kind of giant jigsaw um, until you notice that it's not actually a, a picture that they're working on, but a path. And, I th- and if we think of those two people representing the believers, the people of God, um, then the path represents God's story unfolding. In other words, his plan and purposes for the world. And it has a direction, but also we're involved in it um, directly. So the first and most important thing we need to do is to ask the question, well, what is this story? What is this big story that we're involved in? And where do we fit into the story? In the new year, in our midweek fellowship groups, we're going to be spending the first five sessions on a Bible overview course, looking at the whole um, stretch of of, of scripture um, and understanding it better. But in the next few minutes, I'm going to give you the shortest Bible overview course you've ever had. So here goes. It's based on the biblical scholar Tom Wright's five-act play of God's story and his dealings with the world. And I often refer to this because it's very helpful in thinking about that big picture. And it begins with creation, of course. Um, God makes the entire universe, including the earth and everything in it, and it is all good. It's all good until God creates the first creatures to whom he gives free will. And the result is... In the story of Adam and Eve, we see the inevitable result of temptation combined with free will. And it comes off the rails. God sets about redeeming the world through a chosen people, a particular tribe of people he calls Israel. And they are to be his witnesses to God's goodness by living by his commands and loving both God and loving one another. That's the plan. And much of the Old Testament chronicles the history of Israel as it goes through um, a, a painful struggle of some of people who sometimes get it right, sometimes get it wrong, but who in the end discover that human nature is so flawed that we cannot save ourselves from ourselves. And it's a lesson that the world goes on learning decade after decade, century after century. Um, take, I don't know, science. Science is a great thing. Thank God for science. But We know from everything that's happened in the last hundred years that science isn't going to solve the problem of human nature. We've used it to kill more people in the last hundred years than in all of the centuries that have ever gone before in the human race. We won't save ourselves from ourselves. And God knew that we needed a saviour. And he commissioned a number of prophets to tell Israel that he was going to send a saviour. And the last one of these was prophesied about in our Old Testament reading, the first reading from the book of Malachi. In verse 1, he says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And hundreds of years later, um, as our gospel reading from Luke chapter 3 reveals, the messenger arrives in the form of John, son of Zechariah, better known as John the Baptist. And John tells all who will listen to him that they should clean up their lives, turn back to God, because the Saviour is coming into the world. And onto the scene walks Jesus, or is born into a stable, Jesus. 
And all four Gospels, from slightly different perspectives, um, chronicle um, the life and the death and the resurrection um, of Jesus. And after he's laid down his life on the cross and won for the whole world salvation for all who would believe in him, he returns to his Father in heaven and sends his spirit and the church is birthed. That's the beginning of the church. And the good news of Jesus Christ spreads like wildfire so that from those first witnesses today it covers one third of the world's population. But the story isn't over yet and right through the Bible there are whispers and at times warnings and sometimes almost screams that the story is not yet over. That the victory of good over evil, of love over death, which was instigated on the cross, will come to completion on the day of Christ, as Paul calls it in the passage, when Jesus will return, this time in glory, to judge and redeem the world. So this is our place in God's story. And you might want to turn to page 1178. Sorry, I've got the wrong numbers up on the boards at the moment. Wrong, uh, turn to 1178 in your Bibles to follow this passage uh, in a bit more detail. So it's page 1178. So this is our place in God's big story. And as we consider the words of Paul the Apostle, we realise that actually we're living in the same era, if you like, as the Philippian church. Um, Jesus has not yet returned. And so the advice Paul has for the Christians in Philippi is relevant to us because he tells us what it means to follow Jesus as we wait for his return. Yes, it was a long time ago, but we are living in that era. And what does Paul tell us about this partnership we have in the gospel? Well, firstly, he says that there's a process going on. In verse 6, a good work has begun in their lives. In other words, when they repented and believed in Jesus, a good work has been started in their lives. But that's only the start. And God will carry this good work on. And what is this good work? Well, it's a kind of refining process. Um, Malachi in our first reading described it as such. He said it was, it's like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. And these are great pictures, aren't they? Um, a refiner's fire melts the metal and, and all, the, all the rubbish floats up to the top and gets scraped off. And, uh, and of course, launderer's soap is not like, uh, it's not like dove soft and gentle. You know. it's, uh, it's abrasive soap which coarsely um, rubs off the ingrained dirt and cleans even the most filthy garments. Sounds painful, doesn't it? But that's how challenging Jesus was when he came. And it was all about choosing love above everything else. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were aghast at his teaching. They couldn't believe what he said. Because he told them that they weren't just to love their neighbours, which is what they'd always imagined um, God had told them, but they were to love even their enemies. That they weren't just to forgive once or twice, but there was to be no limit to their forgiveness. And so that poses some questions for all of us, doesn't it? Who have we not yet forgiven? Who are we still holding love back from? Who have we not made up with? Who are we still holding a grudge against? 
Who do we still want to win an argument with? Who are we sitting in judgment over? And perhaps, perhaps some of us are sitting in judgment over the radio presenters who made the prank call to Jacintha Saldana at the King Edward VII Hospital. Perhaps we, we're kind of sitting in judgment over them. And yet, as we sit in judgment, we have to come clean ourselves. It was wonderful this last week to see um, so many visitors at uh, the Chris Dingle. Lots and lots of people I hadn't seen uh, in St Matthews before. And, um, uh, and, it, and it was great and well done to everyone who was involved with preparing for that and making all the Chris Dingles and, and, and helping on the night um, with, uh, with everything. It was, it was a fantastic evening. And, um, and yet, we have to be so careful because with any visitors who come to the church... One misplaced word can alienate them because perhaps we don't like the way they've parked or they don't stand up and sit down when we do or their children are a little noisier than perhaps that we'd like. And, uh, but for those people, it can take so much courage for the first time to walk across the threshold of, of the door of a church. And we must love them. We must show them love. And... Uh, the religious people, the churchgoers, if you like, of Jesus' day, constantly criticised Jesus because he didn't conform to their religious rules and, and traditions. And we, we mustn't make the same mistake. Love, he taught his disciples, was the outstanding test of the people of God. Practically nothing else mattered. And that's why Paul prays in this passage that the believer's love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight. But how do we get there? How, do we, how does our love abound more and more for each other and for those um, around us? Well, I know that for me, in my journey of faith, perhaps the single most powerful ingredient to growing as a Christian and, and believe me, I've still got a long way to go, I know that. But the most helpful thing that I've found has been coming together with other believers in smaller groups to learn together, to discuss together, to eat together, to pray together, to um, help one another. And that's why we have an increasing number of opportunities at St. Matthew's to do that. We've just had the Alpha course which is one way to do that, and, and lots of people participated in that, which was great. And a new one is starting on Tuesday um, uh, evenings in the new year. Um, of course, for those who are doing Alpha for seniors and Youth Alpha, they, those are still continuing. They've still got some weeks to run in, in the new year. Um, and, um, but we're going to start our Wednesday midweek fellowship group again. Um, next week, um, we, I already said next week we're going to have a, a, a sort of a one-off really before Christmas and then the following week we're having a party at the vicarage. But in the new year, we're starting our mid Wednesday midweek fellowship group which will run fortnightly here in the church. And at the same time, we're going to um, start some midweek groups running in people's homes. Um, home groups, we'll call them. Um, around the parish, which will meet on all the alternate weeks. Um, and in this way, we'll have, if you like, the double benefit of having some regular midweek teaching in the larger midweek fellowship group setting. But in addition, we're going to have the chance to attend smaller, more cosy groups in the comfort of someone's nice warm sitting room where we can um, come together, grow together in a more relaxed setting 
Um, and in addition to that, we're going to start a new midweek women's group um, on a Tuesday morning, which is for fellowship, for Bible study, and for prayer. So there's going to be all, lots of details about all of this coming out. Um, but there are lots of alternatives for getting together in those small groups. And, uh, and I've always found that in the small group environment, um, that we really grow in love for one another and, uh, and learn, and our faith deepens. Um, and this process, this refining process as we grow together, is the kind of good work that Paul is talking about in this passage. The good work that God carries on in our lives, that Paul encourages the Philippian Christians to engage with. And, uh, and he says it's so that love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight. So that they can best discern, in verse 9, so they can best discern... Um, Effectively, in other words, what God's will is, so that they're ready for the final act of the play, if you like, the day of Christ, Paul calls it. Paul says in verse 6 that being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on, not just for the sake of it, but to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And this is one of the key themes of Advent. We're awaiting the arrival of Jesus, but not passively like standing at a bus stop, but actively growing spiritually as the refining power of the Holy Spirit works in us. I suppose a nice picture to finish would be um, a a few years ago when I was a a sort of wet-behind-the-ears curate at Greyfriars, um, an 80-something-year-old man was found lying on the floor of his kitchen and we got a call at the church that it was... um, Graham Nash, who, who was a, a member of, of the church, and he'd been rushed to the Royal Berkshire Hospital. He was in A&E. And, uh, and so we went up to see him. Now, Graham had a deep, lifelong faith. He'd been a, a missionary in Africa, um, and uh, he'd come through a lot of, of stuff in his life. And now here he was, right towards the end of his life, lying on a bed in, in A&E, and, um, and, and I arrived with another friend to pray for him. And um, Graham couldn't really speak. But we could hear what was going on. Um, he could hear what was going on. And I leaned over him and said, Graham, would you like me to pray for you? And he nodded. And so I started praying that God would heal whatever it was that had caused him to collapse. Um, I didn't really know. It could have been a heart attack. But anyway, that's what I started praying, that God would heal him. And that's the natural tendency of all charismatic Christians. God can heal, so we pray for healing. And, uh, but almost immediately, Graham started shaking his head. He was quite bothered. He was shaking his head and uh, making it quite clear that he didn't agree with my prayer. And, uh, and then it dawned on me that he not only knew that his time had come, but that he was more than ready, if not eager, to go and to be with Jesus. And uh, so I stopped praying for healing, and I asked God just to take Graham home. And just after his family got to his bedside, a couple of hours later, he died in complete peace um, about what was happening and where he was going, which was a wonderful thing. And you know, Graham was one of those people in whom I could say from Paul's passage, God's good work had been carried on to completion. And ever since that day, rightly or wrongly, um, I've considered Graham's death as a kind of, I don't know, a kind of something to aim for um, in my life. Um, that when that day of Christ arrives, that I will be as ready as Graham was to meet with my Lord and Saviour. And I pray that for each one of us here at St. Matthew's. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for this wonderful picture of partnership in the gospel. We pray that we would grow in faith and spiritual maturity as we meet together, pray for one another, learn together, share with one another. And we pray, Lord, that through that we would be ready for you at our deaths or when you return. We ask that we would be ready to meet with you, Lord Jesus. Amen.